And the sixth Lord's Day is not about what we must do to be doing the work of God. That is the doctrine of faith. And faith is a doctrine we will study later in the Catechism. Nor is the sixth Lord's Day on how we glorify the Lord. That is gratitude, and, and that's later again in the Catechism. This Lord's Day, Lord's Day 6, is not about us at all. It's not about us at all. It's about something we were missing on earth. It is about something we are missing on earth. The sixth Lord's Day is all about righteousness. It's all about life, deliverance, glory. For it's all about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The sixth Lord's Day is all about the gospel. Or better yet, the sixth day is the sixth Lord's Day here is all about who is the gospel. Who is the gospel? Jesus is the gospel. And so Jesus is called the mediator in this Lord's Day. He's called the mediator because he mediates. That is, he stands in our place in his obedience. He's our righteousness. And it is through this mediator, his person and work, that grace comes to us. We are righteous in Christ. So the question that this Lord's Day asks us is this. Whose benefits, whose benefits do we receive in the gospel? And the answer is the true and righteous man. And so question six, I'll ask the question and we'll respond together. Why must the mediator be a true and righteous man? Answer, because God's justice requires that human nature, which has sinned, must pay for its sin. But a sinner can never pay for others. The justice of God says the soul that sins shall die. That's God's word. The soul that sins shall die. The soul that sinned shall die. The man Adam sinned, the first man Adam, and brought death to all men. And therefore all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are dead in their sins. And Adam bring, brought this death to us all because Adam was the mediator too. Just as we look to Christ as our mediator, Adam was the first mediator. And he earned for us the wages of sin, which is death. And so death has passed to all men through the man Adam, the one man Adam. And God is holy, and the soul that sins shall die. Thankfully, after Adam, there was work still to be done. God's holy law remained unfulfilled. If only someone, right, if only someone would keep this law, if only someone would fulfill God's justice, his righteous demands. If only someone would do the works of eternal life. You see, justice still seeks satisfaction according to this catechism. And justice requires that human nature pay for sins. God requires satisfaction. 
And so God remained after Adam, waiting to reward, waiting, waiting to reward a true and righteous man. Unfortunately, it's not so easy because of the fall. And it's impossible for us for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And, and we've discussed that at length in Heidelberg's uh, Lord's Days 2 through 4. And we've seen in 2 through 4 how we are sinful and miserable, prone to evil, hating God and our neighbor as ourselves, and so forth. And so it is impossible for anyone this side of Adam to earn God's satisfaction, to earn this righteousness and so forth, if only there was one who was born not of this world, but partook of this world to redeem us who are bound to this world, out of this world, that we might belong to a world to come. And that is Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? Born of the Virgin Mary. And the Virgin Mary, the Virgin Birth, is our hope. It is the hope of Lord's Day 6. Born of a woman and born under the law. When Paul writes those words, he speaks of Jesus' active obedience. Active obedience is, is a fancy phrase that theologians give us that explains Christ's good works. That Christ was a good worker. That Christ was a good man. A true, perfect, righteous man. And this work of Christ was the work given to Adam in the covenant of works. God gave this work to Adam, and Jesus actually did the work because Adam failed. And Jesus did the work. He was perfectly obedient. So we could say that Jesus fulfills the garden. He fulfills the covenant of works. And we need this obedience for God's word says, Exodus 23, 7, I will not acquit the wicked. God will not justify the wicked. He will only justify the righteous. And so we must be perfectly righteous. The problem for fallen man is we can't meet God's perfect standard, for there's none righteous, no, not one, except one that is the gospel. And so Jesus is our true and righteous man, and he, and he stands in our place. So when Paul says that Christ was born of a woman, born under the law, Christ was born under the curse of the law. He was born in this cursed world, but he was victorious over the curse. He succeeded where all have failed. Christ is victorious. The true and righteous man. And when we say we are the righteousness of God, we mean that Christ obeyed the law for me. Christ satisfied God's law. He lived a perfect life, the life we need he freely gives. The life we need, Christ freely gives to all who believe. And so do you believe the gospel? And if you believe the gospel, then you are the righteousness of God, as if you've never sinned nor been a sinner, but as if you've been perfectly obedient, is Christ is your obedience. Christ is your righteousness. Now, Jesus also had to suffer wrath, and theologians call this passive obedience. Passive because of the Latin word passion, the passion of Christ, his sufferings, Christ suffered. And why did he suffer? Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, why? Why does someone have to die? Why? Because God's wrath is only satisfied with death. But why? Because justice demands it. But why is God just? Because he is so holy. He's more holy than we can ever imagine. Just take God's holiness, magnify it by a million, and square it by affinity, and we're just scratching the surface. God's holy. 
And we kind of know this holiness. We kind of, we know justice. Not perfectly God, like God, but we, we know justice. We know when there's a crime and there needs the need for justice. But God knows it at an even greater level. And God is righteous. And because of sin, someone has to die. There needs to be justice. And in our place, the man Christ Jesus suffered and died. And in Christ, justice was made. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed by the true and righteous man. He suffered in our place. He suffered in our place that we might not suffer in our place, but rather live in his place. In his place is truth. In his place is righteousness. And by faith, we receive both his active and passive obedience as if we'd suffered and done all the righteousness and all the suffering in our place. But no, not us, but Christ. And so our salvation is completely not of us, but of Christ. His righteousness, our righteousness. His satisfaction, our satisfaction. We receive in the gospel... We receive who is Jesus Christ, the true and righteous man. And we also receive one who is true God. Question 17. I'll ask the question and we'll respond together. Question 17. Why must he also be true God? Answer. So that by the power of his divinity, he may bear in his humanity the weight of God's wrath and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. The punishment of God carried an infinite value because God is holy multiplied times a million squared by affinity. And so no mere creature could bear the weight of God's wrath. We would be like an ant, easily crushed. Easily crushed by the weight of God's glory. And yet Christ was divine. God, who could bear the burden of God's wrath in our place. So it was necessary that for Christ to possess infinite strength to endure his passive obedience. And he had to be God to endure divine wrath. And by the power of his Godhead, he endured and has obtained and restored to us righteousness and life. And by his power, by the power of Christ, he himself overcame death. And by the power of Christ, he himself rolled the stone away. And he walked out of that tomb on his own accord. And he ascended into heaven on his own. And by that power, he now raises the dead to new life. And by that power, he will one day roll away our stone. He will unearth our graves and he will resurrect our bodies. All by his power, we will have new life. So, oh, death, where is your victory? No victory. Christ is God. And he has defeated death. And he has given life by his life. And life by his death. And we need his divinity. And how do I know that? The gospel tells me so. Question 19. And how do you come to know this answer? The holy gospel tells me. God himself began to reveal the gospel already in paradise. Later he proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets. And foreshadowed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally, he fulfilled it through his own beloved son. Now, this question, 
all the way over here in Lord's Day 5, corresponds to the third question in the catechism. The third question in the catechism asks, how do you come to know your misery? And the answer is, the law of God tells me. Now the question is, how do you know your comfort? Because the gospel tells me so. And what we find here is Luther's influence on the catechism and the law and gospel distinction. We're Lutherans. Now, Pastor, I'm confused. This morning you said we're Catholics. Now we're Lutherans. I mean, I'm confused. What are we? <laughs> I thought we were Reformed. Yes, we're Protestants. We're Reformed. We're Christians. We're Catholic. We're apostolic. Hopefully I haven't confused you any more than it needs to be. But what you need to know is recognize that we do need the law of gospel distinction. The law shows us our misery. The gospel shows us our comfort. The gospel provides. The gospel provides our gratitude. You know, the law that we keep in an obedience to God, it's actually the gospel provides that. The gospel provides the power of that obedience. The gospel provides that obedience. The obedience of Christ that gives us strength. We love because he first loved us, and now we move to glorify the Lord. All by the power, all by the power of the gospel. The law shows us how to be grateful, and gratitude comes by mediation. And so we're completely saved by the gospel, by that mediator, the true and righteous man who is God. We're saved by Christ, which the doctrine of the gospel reveals. Now, as Protestant, Reformed, Lutheran, Catholic, <laughs> apostolic Christians, we are high church Christians as well. There's another one. We're high church. And what I mean by that is we think highly of the necessity of the church according to this catechism. We need the church to preach the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the ministry of the word. So in order to be saved, Adam and Eve in paradise, in order for Adam and Eve to be saved after they sin, God preached the gospel. You know, the very first evangelist in the Bible is God very first evangelist is God. And God in the garden preaches the gospel, the proto-euangelion, the first gospel, and he preaches it into Adam and Eve. And they're saved, they're delivered by the gospel. And then comes Abraham, right? The father of the faith. How does he become father of the faith? God preaches in Genesis 15. He preaches the gospel and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified in Christ there in Genesis 15. Thousands of years before the true and righteous man. How was Moses saved? God preached the gospel to Moses. How was the elect Israelite saved? God preached the gospel through the sacrifices and through the ceremonies of the law. The gospel was proclaimed. And so the whole entire Old Covenant edifice, the entire structure of the Old Covenant is bound and empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what about the new covenant? If Jesus Christ was bound and empowered the old covenant, how much more the new covenant? And so Jesus Christ is the yes and the amen of the entire Bible, old and new covenant. Christ and him crucified. So 
For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the feet of those who bring good news, who preach Christ. High church. Does it get higher than God in the garden? The same God who preached in the garden is the same God who preaches through his word and through his ministers today in the Lord's, in his church. Or high church. So what was good for Adam, Abraham, Moses, Israel, and the apostolic church is good today. We need a high church. We need a church consumed with nothing but Christ and him crucified. And the height of the church is found in Christ who's now ascended and sits at the right hand of God. High church. We're brought to Zion. And we worship God, reverence and all. We need to be consumed with this, with this Christ. So we come to church to hear that we might come to faith, a greater faith, and thereby come under the influence of God's word. And under the influence of God's word, we might live. And not I who live, but Christ in me. In the life that we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave to me this righteousness and this life that I hear and I receive by faith alone. And there we become under the influence of Jesus Christ, the preaching of God's word. When God's word is proclaimed rightly in Christ, we become, we're under the influence of Christ. And we're led out in Christ, victorious. So know Christ. Know the law and the gospel distinction. We must never learn to confuse the two. If Luther has taught us anything, we will do well to be Lutheran and follow that truth believe in the God-man. We're not the God-man. We do not do the gospel. We're not born of the Virgin Mary. We didn't live a perfect, sinless life. We didn't raise the dead. We won't ever ascend into heaven on our own power. We're not God. We need one who is a true and righteous man who is God. We don't live the gospel. It was lived by another. Our mediator. Only one is gospel. Only one has done the gospel. We simply believe in the gospel. We trust Christ, we're justified. Declared righteous as if we've never sinned or been a sinner. But as if we've been perfectly obedient as Christ is our obedience. Christ is our obedience. It's the greatest truth ever. And because he's our obedience, we are obedient to the law. So know the gospel. And to know the gospel is to know Jesus Christ. Know God's beloved Son, who is your salvation. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.